Are you ready? Okay, Smokey. Roll them. Hello everyone, and welcome to That's Not Quite All Folks, a Looney Tunes podcast. I'm your host, Mark Hanlon, joined by... And this is Jordan Schmidt, and we are here today to prove once and for all why Frizz Freeling is a better animation director than Bob Clampett. There I said it. Now that being said, this is, it, it's more complicated than just Clampett slamming, but seeing that this one involves a certain uh, cartoon bird that both of them uh, worked on, uh, you'll see why I'm a little spiteful towards uh, Mr. Robert Clampett in a little bit. Because uh, today we will be covering the beginnings of the Tweety Bird character in the uh, second part of our two-part discussion on Sylvester and Tweety. The uh, first short we'll be covering is A Tale of Two Kitties, which is the uh, debut of the character, followed by Tweety Pie, the Academy Award-winning short. <laughs> I don't. I think when you set this up, you didn't plan on doing two straight Oscar-winning animated shorts, but we did. Uh, we did Burns Anonymous last episode, and we're going right on to Tweety Pie in this one, which is weird. Tweety Pie was like a good 10 years before Birds Anonymous. So it's weird that we're doing them yes. in reverse order. But we get to again play, did this deserve the Oscar? Because, I mean, with with a lot of the six Looney Tunes that actually won uh, Academy Awards for Best Short, I mean, most of them deserved it. I mean, you get ones like, like Nighty Night Bugs and for sentimental reasons that are like, yes, this deserved it. And then you get ones like Speedy Gonzales, which we'll probably get to, where you can make a case that hasn't aged very well. But with these two, with these Tweety and Sylvester ones, I mean, most of them have aged kind of well because it's it's an age, not age friendly, but like it's 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 a good dynamic that you know has lasted obviously seventy five or so years, and even from the get go, which we're going to get to um, from with the Sweetie Pie cartoon, um, the the formula that works for Sylvester and Tweety is definitely in place, and it works there. The history of Tweety Bird is. Pretty simplistic. Tweed Bird was Bob Clampett's uh, creation at first. Definitely. In that uh, the character was based on pictures of himself as a baby <laughs> when he was naked. And he took yeah. the embarrassment of having these photos around his parents' house and decided, you know what? I'm just going to take this embarrassment and I'm going to put it into this this cute bird that has a malicious side to him. Think of just how his parents were to just have lots of photos of naked Bob just around, like as a child, I hope, just around the house and just like, just tormenting neighbors with it. Like, this is our son. Look at how he's grown since. And it, it's just, it's it's gotta be very sadistic. And of course it's probably psychologically fueled Bob Clampett because as we're gonna get into, he has a very sadistic sort of worldview in this Tale of Two Kitties one that we're doing. The other thing in terms of Tweety's formation is that Tweety is the umpteenth character we've covered on this podcast to have been uh, inspired in some way by a Red Skelton character. Mm -hmm. uh, this one, Red Skelton's Mean Little Kid, which um, if you, in any Bugs Bunny or a couple of ones we've um, discussed already, but there's the phrase, he don't know me very well, do he? That one is from Red Skelton's Mean Little Kid. And Tweety Bird is pretty much entirely a parody of this. 
which makes sense considering what else periodically uh, is going on in a tale of two kitties. Originally, Tweety was named Orson. I have a detail here that, um, in terms, just about how Mill Blank went about doing his voice uh, characterization for Tweety. Mel Blanc, in the actual recordings for this, he would basically use his Bugs voice and just throw in the consonant impediments, you know, the, the various speech impediments, cutesy things that Tweety would do. Sped up, it would work, but like he would do it as Bugs. And, and it's weird because this is, when you think of his other characters, you get sped up like Daffy and like Porky. Tweety is probably his most highly sped up uh, characterization or voice because, you know, yeah. Porky only needs a little bit of, of heightening. Daffy only needs a little bit, but Tweety is like very high up. And it's weird that he's using his bug's voice for that. I'm a tweet little bird in a deodorant Tweety's my name, but I don't know my age. I don't have to worry, and that is that I'm safe in if I'm that old putty cat. It's, it's like the sort of, not fan theory, but it's a sort of online gag where if you speed down a Dolly Parton song, it sounds like Bruce Springsteen, and if you, uh, if you speed up a Bruce Springsteen song, it sounds like Dolly Parton. That's absolutely true, by the way. You slow down Jolene, it sounds like Bruce. You speed up I'm on Fire, it sounds like uh, uh, Dolly. I'm gonna try that later. <laughs> no, on YouTube, it I just will. has, like, it's not like you. It's not like YouTube, like, speeding up, like you said it to 0.75 or 0.125. Right, right. It's like people will slow down the record and it'll sound completely different. So, but that's a completely different uh, tangent. Um, in comparison to what I was saying last time about Sylvester being very versatile and compared with anybody, Tweety is not so versatile. Tweety needs a certain idiotic character to be paired with because Tweety always needs to win. And yeah. it's not like Sylvester where he's funny if he wins or if he loses. Tweety always needs to come out victorious and be this cute sort of unassuming figure. And to that extent, there's not as much you can do with him as it is with Sylvester. It's a fine character, and, and there's always something really mean-spirited about Tweety, which is, has been looked in more detail in the HBO Max Looney Tunes that we've been getting, which are very mean-spirited and very clampidesque. Actually, if you want a really good example of what would Tweety be like without uh, Sylvester, they did an entire movie where Tweety is not with Sylvester, but with a miscellaneous group of cartoon characters, both Looney Tune and uh, original. Yes. We're going to cover that eventually. So we come to his first cartoon, A Tale of Two Kitties, was released on November 21st, 1942. It was re-released in the 50s. Nothing of prominent prominence happened that day, except for... You know, the beginnings of World War II and whatnot. <clears throat> so. Ah, uh, yeah. Second one in a row where we're literally smack dab in the middle of the war. <laughs> the interesting thing about this short, and I even looked at the lobby card for this short. The thing that's interesting about mm -hmm. this short is this cartoon's premise isn't about Tweety. Tweety no. is not the focus and in conception of the short, Tweety was not the focus of this short. No. The focus of A Tale of Two Kitties <laughs> are these two cats <laughs> named 
Abked and Castello because yes. because to give them a mindset of 1940s comedy, Bob Clampett and I assume the folks at Warner Brothers saw the incredible success of the comedy duo Abbott and Costello. Yes, on the radio at that point. Yes, and Bob Clampett's the first one to say, let's cash in on this. <laughs> let's cash in on this, <laughs> and let's do Abbott and Costello routines, or you know, write Abbott and Costello-like cartoons, because, okay, this cartoon, it's a cash grab. It's... It's a cash mm-hmm. grab because, okay, here's this comedy duo that everybody likes. We can easily take this and animate it. It's Rover Dangerfield. Yes. Yes. <laughs> episode taking us back to episode one. I don't know. So Abcat is voiced by Ted Pierce. And first of all, it, 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 you know, it's Babbitt and not Abcat, right? Oh. Oh, it's, it's Babbitt. Babbitt, Babbitt and. He yells it like 50 times in the short. I figure you might get it by then. Uh, so, this cartoon has Babbitt and Castello. Babcat is voiced by Ted Pierce. Castello is voiced by Mel Blanc, whose who's voice, who, he had to kind of like a bug's voice for Castello. Uh, a little? A little. It's, it's a little like it. Uh, I will say that I like Abbott's voice actor. I, I I really like the voice that, that Ted Pierce did for him. His, I mean, his voice kind of reminds me of Norm Macdonald on SNL, and like put like some like like there was a, a guise of trying to care while at the same time you can sort of tell that he's like mailing it in, like like that. That's what it sounds like to me. It's like a, like a Norm Macdonald sort of like half-hearted kind of thing. But at the same time, he's still into it. Ted Pierce is actually doing a really good job. And it's great when you consider Ted Pierce is normally just a writer. He's, he's normally a script guy from, from this division. So it's nice they threw him into the, um, into the booth. And I like that it sounds like him and Mel Blanc are in the studio together bouncing off each other. This short starts with Mel Blanc just yelling Babbitt. Yelling <laughs> Babbitt and... We're going to put some bit of the cartoon in this discussion because I want the audience to know for a little bit how it's a comedic yell. Uh, I'm not saying it's like it's not funny when he does it. There are moments in the short where when he does yell Babbitt, it is funny. But how irritating it gets. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, we'll get into it. So they come come across the fence and the main premise is just this. There are these two cats and they want this bird that's high above this uh, tree that's next to a barn. So Babbitt's just, no, get up there, get up there. And Castell's like, oh, no, I I don't want to go up there. I got height sickness or whatnot. Like, okay, that's fine. Babbitt finds a way to push Castello up the pole, and I guess Castello has this. He has this running. I guess his kind of identification is he does whistles. Yeah. Okay. That confused me a bit because I don't think the regular Lou Castello did a lot of those whistling. Unless I, I got to go back and, and watch more of their movies together. So he's up there, and 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 we come down to Babbitt, and Babbitt's just yelling like, "Oh, get the bird! Get the bird!" 
And then, we, and then he starts saying, give me the bird, give me the bird. Give it to yes. me, give me the bird. And this is a great line. Just Babbitt going, oh, if the Hayes office would only let me, I'd give him the bird all right. So perfect. Perfect. So, that's a great gag. Because uh, you don't expect that in a 40s cartoon. You don't expect there to be a flipping the middle finger joke in a 1940s cartoon. Because yeah, you just because you just don't think, oh, flipping the bird. How long has that existed? Well, apparently it's existed for over seventy something years. If this nineteen forties cartoon can reference it, yeah. I also like that it's just a very bite the hand that feeds you kind of joke, of just uh-huh. like like they they are under the haze code and they're still joking about the haze code. That's the yes. right kind of ballsy, and also I mean. Yes. Obviously, I mean, if you're listening to this, it's, it's probably very obvious to you. But the Animaniacs did this uh, a variation of this joke about uh, 50 years later in a Thanksgiving episode. Be gone, pests, and give me the bird. We'd love to, really, but the Fox censors won't allow it. And for years, I thought that was an original gag, but I didn't know it was based off of this until watching this a couple hours ago. At least they're ripping off the right people. We're introduced to uh, the Tweety Bird character who is flesh-colored so it, it, it's, it's a pretty close design to the uh, Tweety character we'd all know, just he's kind of naked. And we then get a painfully long sequence of Cabot on this ladder. As the ladder breaks, it turns into stilts. He loves it until he loses his footing. He screams bloody murder for Babbitt. Until eventually, Castello slides down the half of the ladder. Castello's like, oh, Babbitt, how'd you get up here? And then just slaps. A lot to this cartoon, guys. Uh, yeah, they're, they're It's really just some, some very easy back and forth dynamic stuff. And occasionally it involves Tweety Bird. And I wish they would have realized sooner that, that, that Tweety Bird was the comedic focal point of this piece because a lot of it is just the cats and they're not as funny and we can realize it and I don't think they do. Bob Clampett so far in this cartoon is relying on a lot of very quick and obnoxious and loud jokes and that's really the rest of the cartoon as well because even when like have we gotten to the point in this where where Tweety just yanks out a mallet? I think we have. Not yet. Not yet. So we we cut back to the cats and and cats and uh, Babbitt is putting Costello in this box, you know. And Costello's like, "Oh, don't put me in there! Oh, don't put me in there! Oh, 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 oh. I figured it out. I figured it out. <laughs> Mark Castello is basically Chris Tucker as Ruby Rod in Fifth Element. <laughs> Only, only the difference is Ruby Rod is supposed to be annoying. And I actually like the fifth element. I'm not getting a lot of joy from this. So, puts him in the box and, and Castell's like, oh, Babbitt, I'm afraid of the dark. And again, in a great line delivery, uh, Babbitt just goes, oh well, oh, well, I'll let you out then. And then just unleashes it 
Joseph Bunch Springs. And then we got this uh, very quick. I love this. Almost too quick. Yeah. I like it, but it's a bit too quick of a succession of gags of Tweety beating up uh, Castello. He bats him on the head, and then Castello's in a bird cage, and Tweety pokes him in the eye, and then he jumps up, and he doesn't have, and he's covering his eyes, and then he bats him in the head, and then he there's a, and then all of a sudden he Castello has an army helmet on, and he gets slammed with the helmet on his head, and all just really quick. And these are good gags. They're good gags, but they're too quick to even register. Exactly. But by the time you are able to think about what just happened, we're already on to the next thing. It doesn't really have time to uh, to breathe to actually resonate with the audience. Yeah, that's most evident to me because there's a point in this succession of gags where Castello pulls out a pistol, and we don't yeah. have enough time to react to the escalation of holy crap, he's pulled out a gun. So the because already Tweety has pulled it back to him and it's a water pistol. I mean that if that was at least spread out a little bit, you could have gotten a lot of shock value over the reveal and then a bit more relief over the eventual water pistol thing. Like I mean, it's it's just a testament, you know, Bob Clampett is working very quickly and very mercilessly, and he's not thinking too much about spreading out gags and a lot of the things that Frizz Freeling and Chuck Jones would cultivate over the next 18 or so years. So we have, so we have this, uh, this montage and Castello sitting on a, an explosive, you know, eating an apple, just going, <laughs> ah, Babbitt, I don't know if I, if I can do this, you know, I'm, uh, I feel like I'm, I'm just not good for this. So Baba just goes, oh, don't worry, you. You'll get in the end. Castello goes, you mean I'll get in the end? And Baba just goes, yeah, you got a big bang out of it. And then just he puts down the explosive. He blows up. That was funny. Dead Pierce MVP. Gets blown up. And I guess he's right in the air. He has the apple. He's eating you know, a classic cartoon gag. He's going up in the air. Eventually, uh, Tweet just takes the apple from him and takes and eats a worm because it's a, it's a bird. And Castello realizes that he's no longer like he's in the air with nothing. He just you know, yells, you know, bad, bad, bad. So he slams down on the top of the roof, which looked like it hurt. Uh, we'll give him that. Yes. It looked like it really did hurt him when he landed on top of the roof. Then slides off. And he winds up on this wire, and in oh. which Tweety does the uh, the classic little piggy uh, segment that he would do in uh, in Tweety's SOS and in the Toontown scene in Roger Rabbit. Thank you, because uh, you were doing Tweety's SOS, and I'm like, wait a minute, there's another big one that you're you better mention <laughs> in Roger <laughs> Rabbit, and those two were better because in this one. After each piggy, you just hear. This sweetie piggy made home. This sweetie piggy had wolf speed. Well, what do you know? I ran out of piggy. Here's a good idea. Like, with uh, if you want to get really hammered while watching this, take a drink every time he lets out a. And at least you'll enjoy yourself there. And around this point in the cartoon, I figured out what I didn't like about Bob Clampett. It just felt cemented itself. It's just the speed and the manic energy I get this cartoon. It's both 
admirable and off-putting at the same time. There's so much that feels very uncontrollable. Like, like, like it can't just move at a leisurely, respectful pace like the Jones and Freeling it, cartoons. It doesn't know when to take its time. Right. And when you've got a seven-minute cartoon, you have time to sort of pace things and spread things out. You can't just overpace it. You can't just over-exasperate because then the target audience, which is kids, are going to be really out of breath by the end. And adults. You know, I, I, I think if I was an yes. adult watching this, I, I wouldn't be able... Now, of course, that's always like a compliment. It's, man, there are so many jokes that when I finished laughing, I, I, I think I missed like two or three. That's a compliment for some... Yes, that the Lego Batman movie. Exactly. Like, that's a compliment for some things, but if you're a seven-minute short... Every joke kind of has to have its little moment to breathe, to, again, to let the audience, like, take it in a bit more instead of just going 80 miles an hour. Yes. So he gets released from this uh, game of piggies. As he's falling, Tweety just throws down a rope, just, oh, here, oh, this will save you. And we come back to Tweety, you know, uh, Castello is climbing up this rope. We come back to Tweety, and it's tied to an anvil, which which works. Sweet. That's good. We we see the cameras on the anvil for more than one second, so we can actually see what's going on and get the joke. So yes, the anvil falls down, and you know, it's great. I actually really like this. Castello just runs away from the anvil. Then we cut back to the ground, and <laughs> the anvil hits the ground. It takes everything with it. Yes. It takes the scenery and the trees, and the, the, that was really good. I, I, I really did like that. That was gag. huge. Yes. That was great. And then, and then, and then, uh, Bab just has a victory garden because forties. <laughs> you know, you know, what's great about that gag is. Yes, it's a reference to the 1940s World War II, like victory gardens, you know, to sell war bonds. But now it's yeah. like, oh, it's like a victory garden when they get the bird. Like it works on yes. both ends. So it's always nice to see one when it when a when a joke for the time really still works and it works today. So so Babbitt yeah. says so he so he quickly notices that his friend has been um crushed by an anvil so he just he uh, he rushes to the hole takes out the anvil he's still looking in the hole like speak to me speak to me <laughs> and then and just, um, you know, this is uh his signature you know he whistles and then Kessel just goes like what's wrong with you like come on <laughs> that's where i felt like it was norm Macdonald. Yeah, it's like, what's wrong with you? Come on, yeah, don't you understand what we're doing? Then we uh, we transition to uh, the last section of the short is yeah. it's nighttime and they tied planks to Castello so that it's like an airplane. You know, again, just you know, a little quabbly, like, okay, you know, you do it right. You know, contact, contact, releases yeah. or releases uh, Castello. They, they throw in a joke, you know, because he's, he's like a Spitfire plane because uh, World War II, Gasol's war bonds. Yeah, a lot of World War II references in this last part. Tweety sees, you know, the cat flying around, and then all of a sudden it turns out that Tweety's an air warden. 
<laughs> he's an air warden, so just like, oh, no, there's an unidentified object in the sky, you know, and then there's a... It just turns into Dunkirk. <laughs> <laughs> just all, all these lights in the sky, and, and a nice music cue. I like the music cue of the lights hitting him, and they just take him down, brutal gunfire, and then this goddamn cat just breaks the fourth wall, just goes, hey, is there an insurance salesman in the house? <laughs> he gets shot out of the sky. Next. Falling down the sky. We cut to a pitchfork. He's falling out of the sky. Cut to the pitchfork. He keeps falling. Sees the pitchfork. Moves to the side. Lands on, on uh, Babbitt. And then we get the moment that this short should have ended on. It should have ended on. Because yeah. Tweety, he comes in. And he just, you know, he just says, um, says, uh, says, uh, okay, put that, break it up, break it up. And Tweety, he's about to walk out of the frame. So you think, okay, we could be done here. We can iron out right here on this funny visual. Yes. But then we just have this abrupt ending where the cats, they turn to Tweety, they're, and honestly, it's well animated, but, oh, they, they become, inc- they turn incredibly vicious because they finally got this bird. And then Tweety just turns around and Mel Blanc just does a typical Mel Blanc voice, just yells out. And just, the lights and their eyes go out, the moon goes out, and then we just cut to that's all, folks. We just cut, we, we go from there, and then we just go to the ending, to the that's all, folks, and I didn't like that. Uh, yeah, that didn't work. I did not like how abrupt it was. Me either. Clampett just doesn't know how to pace things. In terms of my um, Anvil rating, I'm giving this a 3 out of 5. The short was well made. Uh, there were some jokes that worked. However, they were too fast. They were way too fast for jokes that had all the time in the world. And what mm-hmm. really kind of irked me was these characters, the the, uh, the cat Abbott Costello, which... I really should just call it Abbott Costello this entire time. Why did they even try to keep up with the cat names? Anyways, um, <laughs> you did your best. I did my best. Um, these characters, they're like so. Now, given I, I haven't looked up if they reuse these characters in any other shorts, but I do know that this was kind of part of a plan like oh we'll do these Abbott and Costello cat shorts they'll be great and if these characters were supposed to become these uh series I don't think regulars I don't think there's a a universe out there where these cat characters become as popular as uh, the main uh six seven but god no if these characters were to become these short leading characters, they have no personalities. Uh, a lot of their personalities relies on the audience already knowing who Abbott and, and Costello is. And when you look at the other Looney Tune characters, yes, they are in a way based on radio personalities and such, but they still have their own their own individual personalities. While with these two cats, it's just it's Abbott and Costello, which is yeah. which which seems very it's very lazy. 
It's a very lazy way to. It's uh, Abbott and Costello, but worse and more annoying. Yes, yes, because I look. I'm mainly. I think I've only seen one or two Abbott and Costello shorts in my life, thanks to my film appreciation courses that I took. But even then, I I don't think they were ever this annoying. Like I found the no. shorts funny. This was just annoying. So, what are your thoughts? <laughs> Oh yeah, right. I have I have similar thoughts. Um, a lot of jokes worked, but this was too manic, too uncontrollable. Even with an impressive Tweety showing, uh, three out of five, same same rating as yours. Yeah, it it just sucked the life out of me. <laughs> yeah, like there, there really wasn't much to talk about this short. Uh, I, I guess a, a compliment I can give it is. Um, it got me an excuse to take out my volume five going collection set, which I never take out. <laughs> you know, so like, oh, I was able to take out a set I barely touch because its short selection is not that good. Anyways, <clears throat> your cartoon was less annoying, right? Oh, a lot less annoying. Um, this one, you know, this makes up for my my woes with the last one because this one I actually liked a lot because it's the Oscar winner. It's uh, it's Tweety Pie from 1947, and um, this is a Clampet slash Freeling kind of thing. I have some backstory on this one actually. Um, it's a doozy. It's a doozy. It's yeah. It's a lot went into making this damned cartoon. So thank God it won an Oscar. Uh, Bob Clampett, before he left Warner Brothers, was going to pair Tweety with an unnamed Freeling-made cat in 1945, possibly on the heels of Life with Feathers. Uh, so it might have been Sylvester, it might have been a Sylvester variant, but he wanted to do something with this duo. But he, before he could, he ended up leaving the studio due to creative differences. The studio was creative and he was different. And, uh, sorry, Harry Shearer, that's his line. Um, and after he left, uh, Fritz Freeling took it over, fine-tuned the Tweety Bird design, adding feathers, and it eventually fell into Tweety Pie in 1947. Um, the other thing is, is that as he was creating this cartoon, this was coming off the heels of another Sylvester project called uh, Peck Up Your Troubles, where Sylvester was pitted against a woodpecker character. Eddie Seltzer really liked this woodpecker character. He was This was after he had taken over for Leon Schlesinger as the head of the, uh, the animation department. I don't know if Woody Woodpecker was a thing by this point, but I have a good feeling that he was. And I feel like Eddie Seltzer wanted either to combat Woody Woodpecker or to just do a woodpecker character because he thought, for whatever reason, Eddie Seltzer being wrong he thought he was he had something with this woodpecker Sylvester combo. And Frizz Freeling, to his credit, threatened to quit if he could not use Tweety Bird in this. And thankfully, Eddie Seltzer relented because with this duo, we have an Oscar, another Oscar in 10 years, and 75 years of awesome uh, dynamics and cat and bird stuff. Ironically, uh, when this does win the Oscar, Eddie Seltzer gets to keep it until his death in 1970, which is weird because he didn't want this duo to happen, and then he ends up getting the Oscar for it. It's very backwards, but it's very Hollywood. That must have been a very interesting award accepted speech. Uh, thanks, yes. Frizz, for proving me wrong. Wait, no, I had this idea the entire time. No one else had this idea but me. It was all me. Then, then on his deathbed, listen, just give the Oscar to Frizz. He, he probably deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's written on, it, on his epitaph. Give it to Frizz. 
Give it to Frizz and Mel. <laughs> give it to give it to Frizz. Well, we'd love to, but the the Hayes Code won't allow us. Um. Anyway, um, the initial design in this cartoon for Tweety is spot on, just like we know him. But he, the the only difference between this Tweety and the Tweety that we uh, we live with for the rest of the run is that uh, Tweety in this cartoon has a little crest of feathers on top of his head. And he's also, when he's front-facing, he looks a little different. He's got a mohawk. His eyes are a little further apart than, um, than later Freeling cartoons. The voice is better than it was, but not perfect yet. Sylvester is pretty much spot on. Yeah. I also might add that, because you did it on this day kind of thing for the last cartoon. So on, on this day in 1947, May 3rd, uh, the famous magician Doug Henning was born. Uh, Emperor Hirohito of Japan was stripped of his powers as a new democracy was formed. Uh, Robert Wise is born to kill and Dishonored Lady with Eddie Lamar were in theaters. Uh, things were happening post-war, you know, so it was good. So I'll actually get into this cartoon. The whole thing takes place in the snow, uh, which is nice because you don't get a lot of snow set in Looney Tunes very often. Uh, and if they are, then they're forgotten in comparison to the other ones that take place in the forest. I'm still bitter. Um, we start off with a very clever opening gag. So Tweety's warming himself by a lit cigar, which is a nice little diminutive gag. But uh, Sylvester ends up grabbing him. First of all, Sylvester's snowshoes are tennis rackets, which is a good gag. Uh, Sylvester ends up grabbing Tweety and a cigar that he's warming himself with. Tweety slips out before he can realize it and does his usual toy to a pity tat. I did. I did see a pity tat. You know, you've seen a Tweety cartoon. You know what we're getting. But yeah. as he's getting out, the cigar is still in Sylvester's hands. He gives a very nice youch. I, the Mel Blanc in this is great because he gives like so many good youches. Ten out of ten youches. And and then you know we because this is outside of a house and we introduce you know the door opens and we introduce this granny character here voiced by B. Benaderet and only shown from the neck down, which gives it a parents from cow and chicken kind of uh, feel here. Sylvester in this cartoon is curiously called Thomas, which is nice because B. Benaderet yelling. <laughs> throughout the cartoon is really funny. It is literally the antithesis to um, Catstello yelling, ah! because Bebe and yelling, yelling Thomas, it's, it's succinct, it's funny, it's just, it's comedy gold every time it happens. And she doesn't say it over 15 times. It's a little less than a dozen times, but at the same time, it's funny when she says it, because yeah. this character is at least a funny sort of authoritarian. Now, granted, this is, pre-June foray, and this is B. Benaderet, you know, before they actually went for June foray, before they actually designed Granny, but she's still really good in this. Yeah. All right, so going in, in chronological, there's a kiss the little birdie gag, and of course, Sylvester chomps Tweety instead of actually kissing him, and we get some yelled, Thomas! That's great. That, 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 that was the, it, it's been a while since I've seen this short. That was the one gag that I remembered for, from, from past viewings. Yes. What was that gag? The classic. <laughs> Yeah. It is. It is. All right. So we get into the house, and Tweety gets his own cage where he'd stay for the next, what, 75 years. And I love the B. Benaderet nails the line. And Thomas, remember, no tricks. Like, just <laughs> randomly stern. Because he's like, oh, super nice to, to Tweety. And there's like, no tricks, Sylvester. Like, like Thomas or whatever. But it's just really funny. From here, we get the first iteration of the classic Sylvester carrying things as seen through the windows mm -hmm. gag, which is also a great example of Carl Snowing being really good at Freeling cartoons. 
it's scoring for young cartoons. I was probably surprised how this being their first outing together, how, and, and we'll get into more of this in our final thoughts, but like how kind of perfect of a Sylvester and Tweety cartoon it is. Like they, yeah. they, 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 they kept, they kept this formula uh, pretty well from the get-go. Yeah, no, no. I mean, again, like the it's, just, it's a testament to the writing, and this is actually a joint between mm-hmm. Ted Pierce and Michael Maltese. So you got some of the best writers on the WB uh, payroll at the time collaborating, which is a cool thing. The eventual reveal of the structure made up of household furniture used by <laughs> Sylvester to climb up to the cage. If Tweety's up that high, how the hell did Granny get him up there? Is Granny eight feet tall? No wonder she was a solid bench player in Space Jam. (laughs) Then the second Sylvester checks the cage, Tweety's already sawing off the leg of the lowest chair. Crash. Even funnier, as Granny comes back downstairs, Sylvester has to race to set all the furniture back into place before she gets down. It's the equivalent of Sam trying to push the water underneath him in high-diving hair. The first gag hit, and then there's a second inevitable gag that we now need to build to, and it works so well. So Sylvester puts everything back, goes into his initial sleeping position, and yet Granny still beats him with a broom and yells at him. That is a funny payoff. Like the high-diving hair. He succeeds, but he still crashes. So the same joke happens again after this. Sylvester stacks metal furniture. He gets to the top. Tweety's already down on the floor using a blowtorch to melt the metal. This escalation really worked for me. And Sylvester does a little Wiley Coyote-esque wave to the audience as he falls. <laughs> I love that. I love that we're seeing it before Chuck Jones would use it with Wiley Coyote. Sylvester rushes to places, to his place on the carpet, without putting anything back. So we already know what's going to happen. It's a variation on the last get. There's maybe yeah. like a second long pause between Sylvester sleeping on the floor and Grammy slamming, <laughs> Granny slamming with the broom again. It still works. I don't know why all of these granny hitting with Sylvester with the broom jokes work with me, but they really do. The most classic gag for me in this cartoon is, because I know you had your kiss the little birdie gag that you think is the most classic. I think the most classic one is Sylvester using a ceiling fan to fly up to Tweety's cage. And then Sylvester sees Tweety's out there and Tweety smugly just motions to the plug. And then we do (laughs) Carl Stalling's dueling music cues. Sylvester's not going, please don't, and he's praying. And Tweety's like, well, yes, I have to. It's so funny. Yeah. Uh, right after this, we do Tweety yelping for help, and then Sylvester trapping him in a little glass cup where he doesn't emit any sound. And and one of in the sound design, it's a deafening silence. It's just complete yes. nothing. So it, it kind of yes. eerie, just just... They would do a variation on that in, ironically, another Oscar-winning short two years down the line for sentimental reasons. And it's literally just without dialogue, Pepe Le Pew and the girl arguing. And the music literally, Carl Stalling literally narrates their dialogue with <laughs> yeah. music. And it's genius. It's, a, it's a, a variation on this, which is already a really good gag. Uh, after a few seconds of this, uh, Tweety pulls out a pin, which is... The second in two cartoons we've covered in this that involves a pin pricking someone. And we don't even need to see Tweety plunge it into Sylvester's hand. 
we see the cut between Sylvester sweating right to him, yelping in pain and flying in the air. We don't even need to see what happened. We know what happened. Frizz Freeling knows that we know what happened. And it's just such a good gag from there. And then after that, we just have Sylvester shrugging as Granny whips him with the broom. Like, yeah, figures. So she throws him out of the house and we get back to the, the musical tiptoeing, but outside through the windows and it still works. Yep. Still and works. this is the gag where Tweety sees him coming down the chimney. gets a ton of logs, a ton of gasoline and a match all without dialogue. And the incoming youch just works so well because of that. And because we just see the copious fire right after it. Yeah, yeah. Just seeing just a vesture with fire as hell going just going down. And, and just just as 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 Sylvester hits the roof, we just the camera just cuts to the inside of the roof and it was as just follows Sylvester down. We don't even see Sylvester hitting the roof. He just know. <laughs> A lot of trust placed in us by Frizz Freeling, and it, it's yeah. nailed. Yeah. The next shot is after a, a Tweety singing shot. We have a shot of Sylvester in what looks like a library making blueprints, <laughs> which is the equivalent of, like, in a Wile E. Coyote cartoon, of Wile E. Coyote thinking and then getting an idea. Like, we, the fact that we need to see the thought process of this is funny. And then we see a saw and boards just going into the next room. <laughs> This next gag is really the only one that doesn't work for me because the setup is great. It's a Rube Goldberg device that's activated by Twitty jumping in a box of birdseed. And it's very clever and very intricate and very first feeling. However, the trap backfires when the bowling ball lands on Sylvester, which means Sylvester was in the spot all along. The payoff to that confused me. Why would... The thing, if it goes 100% right, why would it still, the bowling ball still land on Sylvester ahead and not on Tweety? We don't get an explanation either. Yeah. So that, that's really the only one that doesn't work for me. Um, yeah, I think, I think that one was just expectations. Okay. The next one is literally the antithesis of everything we were saying about Bob Clampett because this next gag, start to finish, is four seconds. And every one of those four seconds counts and is paced well because we just see Sylvester sawing through the ceiling above Tweety's cage. And, you know, we have three seconds of just that buildup of getting an expectation in your head. And the fourth second is just the rest of the ceiling and Sylvester crashing down and just the ultimate payoff. And it works so well. Unlike yeah. Clampett's gags, it wasn't obnoxious, and it paid off on making every second count, even with the lead-up. This <laughs> is why Freeling is better at this sort of thing than Bob Clampett. Even if there are a lot of Bob Clampett apologists out there, and if you are listening, put down the pitchforks and knives. I still kind of like Bob Clampett in other areas, but Freeling was better at pacing jokes and timing jokes, and Clampett needed some work with that. Also, Frizz and Chuck and the rest of the crew are a lot more group-friendly when it comes to the creation of characters than uh, Bob. Yes. <laughs> Bob is very selfish. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that when we talk about uh, the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner movie about <laughs> the, the, the pettiness towards uh, Bob. Even the last gag of this is really good because... Yeah. Lester realizes his house is in shambles and he's going to get hit with the broom. He throws the broom in the still lit fireplace. Good continuity there. 
And then Tweedy grabs a shovel from God knows where and starts bashing him over the head with it. It's not even Granny. Granny is, is not even in this ending. It's just Tweedy beating the crap out of him, which is just a funny payoff to that runner. Yeah. And of course, the last line we hear is, you bad old putty tat. And the dynamic that would last decades has been cemented right here. So even the ending yeah. works, which is not something I can say for Tale of Two Kitties. No. So uh, yeah, that, that's a really good one. It definitely sets the standard for future Sylvester and Tweety cartoons, has some really good gags and payoffs, and immediately knows that the funny is getting Sylvester hurt in some way, even when the broom, with broom hits. So yeah, really good Sylvester Tweety cartoon, way more than just proof of concept, which is admittedly what A Wild Hair was. Uh, I genuinely really like this one. I give it a 4.5 out of five. So before we went on, I put it down as a four out of five. Um, I'm only, the only thing taking me back a bit was the fact that, and again, funny enough, this is also a criticism I had with Wild Hair, which is the fact that this cartoon has a lot of gags that we would see in other shorts of, of the characters, uh, especially for uh, Sylvester and Tweety. However, in hearing you discuss it, I'm like, actually, this, I mean, even though these gags are reused in other shorts, for this being the first time they do it and these gags still work, I have to give it a 4.5 just for that. Yes. I, I'm, I'm glad I could influence you in some way because this is just, it's just good comedy writing. It's just good pacing, and it's just proof that Frizz Freeling really knew his stuff, which I'm very grateful for. <laughs> So, this is uh, after concluding our uh, retrospective of Sylvester and Tweety. Who are we covering next week? In these uh, first uh, couple of so episodes, we're covering the origins of, of classic Looney Tune characters that have stood the test of time that everybody loves. We covered you know, characters that have been in multiple, multiple shorts. Right. We could be covering of uh, like Foghorn Leghorn. We could be covering Speedy yes. Gonzalez. But you know, I this is purely a selfish choice. We're gonna do the Tasmanian Devil next week. Yes, we are. Because because gosh darn it, we love Taz. Taz is just so much fun to to watch and to talk about. So, yeah, so for next week's show, we're going to be covering Devil May Hair, which is the Tasmanian Devil's first appearance, followed by Ducking the Devil. Taz is a very odd character to talk about in terms of influence and in terms of, you know, the, the legacy of the Looney Tunes, because Taz was only in like five or six Looney Tunes shorts in the original era and is still one of the, the defining characters of this canon, especially being on a lot of merchandise in the 90s and being a huge character in Space Jam and in a lot of commercials and logos and things. And hopefully next episode, we're gonna analyze why there's so much of an appeal in this character because it's it, the pieces don't fit together for me, but hopefully they will when we cover these. And it'll be very interesting because um, I'm I, I'm doing the you you did the origin this this time I'm doing the origin next time right yes yes good because I rather like the origin of this one there's a lot of really choice 
pieces of this character that we don't see in other iterations of Taz. So it's it's very exciting. Uh, even if it is a very niche character, it, there's still a lot of things to talk about. That's the end of our show. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow me at Mark Halem, 1995. And you can follow me at Tall Guy Schmidt. You can also follow the podcast at that underscore loony or type in the podcast title. We are the first result. You can also find this podcast wherever podcasts are featured, sold, or uh, auctioned off to the highest bidder. That last one was a joke. Uh, find us on Apple Podcasts. Find us on Spotify. Find us on Player FM. Insert other podcasting sites here. We're out there. We are ready to be listened to. We'll see you next week for Taz. Yes. And until next time, Babbitt! The audience is now deaf. <laughs>